All my bags are packed, I'm ready to go I'm standing here outside your door I hate to wake you up to say goodbye But the dawn is breaking, it's early morn The taxi's waiting, he's blown his horn Already I'm so lonesome I could die So kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you'll never let me go Cause I'm leaving on a jet plane Don't know when I'll be back Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, codename Estimator, and with me, he's the best there is at what he does, though nobody really knows what that is, Brian Hughes, codename, I forget your codename, Brian, what is it this week? The hello, hello guy? Oh, no, no, we can't have that. Audiences don't like that. We have to come up with something new. The Greedinator. I like that. That's the Greedinator. It's got, got some legs. We can maybe do something with that. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> hey, Tim, how you doing? Excellent. Excellent. And I hope our listeners are doing really well. And that... Anyway, what are we doing today, Brain? Well, today we have a excellent show. It's extremely informative. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. Whatever other X puns I can come up with. Well, with the extensive synopsis I put together, it should be excellent. <laughs> if you could tell by our poorly ad libbed little impromptu little comic comedic sketcher, we are covering I believe this is our first Burn X Men book, correct? Yes. To yes my it knowledge. Is. First Burn X Men and First Burn Alpha Flight. That's true. Two big number ones. Yep. yep. We are covering uh issue one twenty of Uncanny X Men and one twenty one from Yes we are. Yes. And I guess what people, I guess when we were announced we were going to do a, or what people might actually assume when you said, I'm going to do a burn podcast, they might think you might jump right in with, I mean, what's burn known for? X-Men, F, uh, FF, and Superman. And you think you would do one of those. And we've really stayed clear of that because those are so well known and probably covered previous podcasts. We want to get into some more of the obscure stuff, but you got to eventually go back to... Uh, what is I can only call greatness. So you got to come back to some of this, um, uh, what I consider burn and Claremont, uh, at their prime. This is the height of their power. Yeah, this is, this is beautiful stuff. And again, you know, the, the, I think one of the things that, that made it so signature is the Terry Austin inks on there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't read more. Yeah. So, um, I guess, you know, is it, what's, what's going on now? Um, you know, I, I know that you went to Frightmare, Yesterday. I went to yeah, Texas Frightmare Weekend, which is the supposedly the Southwest preeminent horror con. And that was uh, here at the uh, airport in Dallas, and it was it, what it was. It was, a, it was a con for mostly primarily horror. Con, so, oh sorry, con. <laughs> it was like a con. But I got to see Tony Todd, so he's done some other stuff outside of horror. He does some Star Trek stuff. Oh, and he, he's he's Zoom, or he the voice is Zoom. Or oh, that's right. Whatever he is. He's the voice of uh, Zoom on The Flash. The Flash, that's right. And, of course, he was uh, 
uh, young Jake Sisko on Deep uh, old Jake old Sisko, Jake Sisko. On, Deep, on Deep Space Nine, uh, villain in uh, The Rock, which uh, you know that's probably Michael Bay's best movie. I'm right um, there. He's also well Candyman. That's his big horror Candyman. Yeah, and but, he's all uh, the the Final Destination films and things like that. And Kern, of course, on uh, Next Generation. Uh, maybe you mentioned that just a moment ago, but. Um, I'm sorry, I'm 50 years old. I can forget things. <laughs> You're allowed. But yeah, but, and he's as I understand, he is really down to earth kind of guy too. He, I never, we didn't, I didn't get his autograph. I just saw him at his table, and he seemed like a pretty nice guy for the most part. Everybody there seemed uh, the only, and I wasn't into it. But Peter Chris, the original drummer, was there. Yeah, and apparently the line for him was about a six hour wait to get his autograph. But there were some hardcore Kiss fans there with. Well, if, if you're a Kiss fan, I'll tell you this. I've, I've been talking a little bit with Scott Riefen and because uh, he and I are both huge, huge Kiss fans. I didn't know that about you. I did and, not oh, know yeah. you liked Kiss. I saw Kiss when I was 13 years old. It was the um, the Dynasty Tour, which, of course, was the uh, that was right after what, what I think was the real big heyday for them. But uh, still, I got to see Kiss right at that time. They're at the height of their power. They actually had a disco song out, I Was Made for Loving You, which I didn't ever think it was disco, but hey, whatever. And uh, I saw him I then at the age of 13. I saw him again in uh, 1998, and I think it was, it was a reunion tour uh, a couple years removed from the Psycho Circus uh, album. And uh, both, both times was with the all four original members. Yeah. And uh, had a blast at both, and you know I've just been I'd, I'd been a Kiss fan, but only during the the makeup years. I didn't I didn't care for any of that the the glam metal stuff that they did in the later years. Though I like some of the songs Hell's on Fire and whatnot. But you know it's it's those early years that I really really enjoyed. I think to me, they're they're some of their best music. Of course, I, I mean I love Domino and some of the other stuff, but I, I think a hundred thousand years was one of those songs that just you know said to me what a great great song and, and, and uh, amazing work there uh, with, the, with the drumming and, and everything. Of course, uh, Ace Frehley is a, the, the, by far the best arpeggio guitarist out there. And that, because that was his thing, you know, whenever he was doing his solos, he loved to go the arpeggio route and, and working those into his solos. Cool. But, but anyway, uh, you know, the Scott Reifen and I are talking about maybe doing Destroyer as a, a long play. I was just going to suggest that if they haven't done a kiss on long play, then it's something you and Rifen should, should, I know he's a just gigantic. Cause when we were in, in December, when we were in Georgia for Jekyll con and I got mm-hmm. to meet Rifen and the other guys from dinner for geeks, one of the, at the bar that was across from the hotel we were staying, they had a kiss cover band show up and I don't know their name, but they were in the full. He said it was like kiss circa 19, 19- 77 mm-hmm. I don't know. yeah but they had the full makeup and everything so yeah and that's that's just the best part where you see gene with the dragon boots and um the the best space ace costume probably that one or the one he wore for love gun which is kind of like the wrap around with the colossus shoulders mm-hmm. and uh i mean you know there was never a, a peter chris costume that was really i'd say signature um but and of course, you know, Paul. It didn't matter what costume was; he was basically going to do whatever to show his chest and show his guns. <laughs> but True. you know, usually, usually your 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 biggest signs was what they were. You know, what uh, Gene and Ace would be wearing. They they can kind of tell you the age of of 
you know, which age you're in. Yeah. Well, I saw Jane uh, at the first or first, I think the first Comic Con we went to. He was just he was just sitting at a table with with his son because oh, I yeah. think at that point he was doing his TV, his reality show. What was um, Family Jewels? Family Jewels. Yeah. He was doing that because we were really looking because Stone Cold Steve Austin was what was drawing the crowd. So we were all looking. Of course, we go to those shows like, oh, who's what? Who's everybody looking at? So you kind of see, and there's Stone Cold, and then I look down, and about you know two feet. In, Away from me is Simmons with his kid at this table they were sitting at. So that's what's cool about San Diego Comic Con. You just kind of run into people like that. And you know the the great thing is is that if you go to a Kiss show today, there are so many. And, and again, they're not doing that many shows. But if you've gone to a Kiss show in the last decade, you would see so many fans bringing their kids, and the kids are just as into it as their parents are. Because all that, you know, the the costume and the imagery and everything that goes on into it, you know, definitely translates to kids. I mean, I was a young kid when I saw it. When, when I first heard of him, I was like 10 years old, 10, 11 years old when um, I got a hold of Destroyer on 8-track. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I would go out and sit in my brother's Honda CVC to, to listen to it. So it's uh, cool. Yeah. Well, I remember kids in third grade, kids would r- draw the logo on their you know, when you used to have book covers, kids don't know what that is now. When yeah. you had to cover your book and you draw all over it, people would write, draw that stylized Kiss logo. And that's, you know, that was probably, you know, up at that time, 75, 76. Uh-huh. And, you know? and I, at the time when I first started learning about Kiss, the uh, Hewland Mall had just opened up. It was the first, you know, indoor mall that opened up in, in the area around us in South Fort Worth. And so... I would go there and my friend Clifford Eggers and I would go ahead and put on face paint and make ourselves up like members of kiss seriously and run and run around the mall. Yeah. <laughs> I was 11 years old. What do I know? I, wow. You know, it, was, it was funny. You know, we'd go in the restroom, we put on the makeup and everything and then go, you know, play about the mall. His mother, uh, ran a, a, a chain of, of little restaurants called the bratwurst at several of the local malls. And she had one there. So, and my mother actually managed uh, Stewart's, which was a woman's clothing store at the mall. So it's not like we're, you know, complete vagrants <laughs> in the mall, you know, but, you know, I, that was, it was a cool mall. And I, I did a lot of cool things there. I met, I met a lot of, of, of the Texas Rangers, most notably Toby Hare. I met Charlton yeah. Heston out in front of the, the bookstore. I don't remember what the name of the bookstore Charlton store Heston? Was. Seriously? Yeah. I met Charlton wow. Heston, shook his hand and everything. And this wow. is. You know, late seventies. So we're talking that's really earthquake. Cool. You know, it was right right after earthquake. Apparently, I think is when. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's seventy. Not, not too long earthquake after seventy four or seventy five. Well, this yeah. was seventy seven. Is when I met yeah. when I met him there because um, it was right after the mall had opened up, and the mall was a big deal in uh, South Fort Worth, Hula Mall. Well, this is not a Kiss podcast, so no, no, it is not. It is not a Kiss podcast, <laughs> and uh, I guess we'll go ahead. Uh, there's not any big news going on as far as, you know, John Byrne is concerned. Uh, we do know, of course, uh, X-Men Age of Apocalypse will be hitting the theaters here in just a few weeks. And we won't be doing a pre-show like we did for Batman v Superman, but we will do a post-show giving all of our opinions. Hopefully we can all go and see it together. And do it uh, right afterwards. We might try to do that. Yeah, do something, do something right after. Uh, what else do we have coming up here? Well, well, we, I'd say this is we're doing this X Men book because mm-hmm. of the movie of the movie is going to come out in May, so that's why we're doing this, and we're going to do a commentary on Days of Future Past, 
that mm-hmm. will be released this month. We're going to have a Star Trek, another Star Trek show coming up uh, this month. We won't tell you what it is. It'd be a surprise. Uh-huh. Uh, June, of course, we've got the big uh, freaking palooza or whatever we're going to officially call it. We're, we're all going to get together at kind of around Paul's house in uh, Long Island, and we're all pulling that you're going to be able to make it. I'm going to do my level best to get there. And we may have, uh, I don't want to give it away, but we've got some maybe uh, special guests coming in June for something we're doing in a, with a tie-in for a movie that's having its 35th anniversary. Ooh. I say with all the confidence in the world, I think it's 35th. Well, we're, we're, we're going to get, we're going to trying to get, uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. I'll, I'll tell you off air, but it's, we talked right. about it and we've already talked to the parties that want to be involved and they've agreed. We just have to kind of pinpoint when we can oh. do it because we'll be going to uh, New Long Island, uh, like June 16, 17, 18. So that's the middle right. of the month. So, but other than that, I don't, that's kind of what we've got slated for coming up. Well, we got a lot of fun coming up, so that's yeah, that's going to be it's going to be it's going to be busy. Yes it is. Yes it is. Okay, well, I guess I'll uh take us into our book then. And uh the first book actually as we're doing we're covering two here. Uh the first one is Uncanny X-Men number 120. Uh publisher of course was Marvel, cover date of April 1979. The on sale date was January 16, 1979. Had a cover price of $0.35 cents and a page count of 32, but actual story pages was down about 17. And the title was Wanted Wolverine, Dead or Alive. And the writer and, well, co-plotter was Chris Claremont, plotter-penciler John Byrne, inker Terry Austin, letterer Tom Orzachowski, colorist Glennis Wine, formerly Oliver, and um, the cover credits was uh, Bob Budiansky as a penciler and Terry Austin Austin. as the inker. Terry Austin. What did I say? You said Austin. I was just repeating it. Yeah, Terry Austin as the inker. Interesting. I'm reading a digital copy. I don't know if you're reading a digital or not. It does not list – it doesn't list a a colorist. It does not list – it lists Claremont. Yeah, it does. Right under Tom Wozniczowski. Mine's – Mine's like didacted. Mine's white. So I don't know if somebody's gone through there and taken it out or if it's a it's a digital error, but it's, it's just not there and mine's blank. Wow. Mine's actually a scan of, of, of an issue. It's not like a uh, perfect digital like you would get That's what off mine of is. Uh, Marvel Unlimited or something like that. Yeah, mine's a digital version of the Marvel Masterworks. So, so you probably don't have any of the ads or anything in there. I don't have any of the ads. Oh, that's so sad. This has got great ads in it. I have it. I have it on my X-Men uh, DVD. I just didn't pull it out. I'm using. I'm looking at my digital from. Like I said this is from the Marvel Masterworks. I think Volume One. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess I'll get started and get us into our synopsis. Our story opens in a briefing between Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And oh, Department hold on. I don't want to. I don't want to. I hate. I hate to do, stop you. Oh. Did you want to go over what was uh, out at the same time? Oh, you know what? I didn't even pull that up. Do you have that? Yeah, I've got it. Okay, excellent. Uh, for this issue. This is the same month that Marvel premiere 47, so his Ant-Man story was out, which we right. have already covered with Back to the Bins. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Marvel 2-in-1, number 50, which I think is his first. That was uh, That's a pretty big one, isn't it? Yeah, that's where Ben Graham goes back in time to prevent his becoming the thing and winds up curing a, a Ben from a different reality. So, spoilers, mm-hmm. I mean, let's read that. But uh, He also did Avengers 182. Oh, yeah. That's, is that the beginning of the Wanda Pietro story? 
I think so. I haven't read it, so I don't. And I'm trying to remember which which one that is, or if that's the Absorbing Man story. That uh, sounds kind of familiar all, too. But I mean, I it's all all great stuff. Yeah. I mean that that run on the Avengers though, it was only ten issues, uh, one eighty one to one ninety one. Um, every issue was a gem, and uh, beautiful beautiful artwork in those. And uh, they they actually had really good inkers to complement Burn style. Um, and of course, it, it worked very well within the framework of what was going on in the Avengers because George Perez was doing uh, many, many of the other issues around it. Yeah, and I believe Klaus, Klaus Jensen was doing the. I think Klaus Jensen was doing the inking on Avengers for him. Some of he did some of the inks. I believe Dan Green and uh, Dave Hunt might have assisted it sometimes in there too. I know but, Joe Sinnott did it for him on Marvel Two and One, mm-hmm, and, and of course Layton did it on Marvel Premiere. Now, were those the only books he worked on? He didn't do a Fantastic Four around that time as well? Not that I could find. I did find reference to he did. There was something in Comic Reader, number 167, but I couldn't find what it was. I don't know if it was a short story. Probably a single page. It might have been. Yeah, just a a splash of art or something. Yeah, or it could have been an interview. I don't know. It could be. More likely it was a reprint of some art that he had somewhere else. Yeah, because this is also, they didn't do it this month because they were probably coming out every other month but this is around when charlton was reprinting his doomsday plus one stories oh yeah yeah now i looked um this up on mike's amazing world and found a lot of reprints listed here but i'm sure it's done even more since then but uh classic x-men 26 marvel masterworks number 24 which is uh uncanny x-men volume 3 hardcover the essential x-men volume 2 trade paperback Uncanny uh, X-Men Omnibus hardcover, and uh, there was a variant of that also that came out. Yeah, I almost pulled out my Vagrant Killing Omnibus for this, but copyright Andy Leyland. But uh, I didn't. (laughs) It was easier to go digital. You know, I really liked what they were doing in classic X-Men when they were reprinting these because they would it was almost like a director's cut. I mean, I liked some parts of it. I didn't like other parts, but they would uh, add in extra story pieces and bits and then there would be the eight-page backstory that was usually John Bolton artwork, or they would get someone else to come in and do it. I was digging the Art Adams cover uh, art for those reprints, the classics. Yeah, some yeah, some of those are just just gorgeous. But yeah, I mean, if if you're uh, an X Men completist, uh, you know these those reprints in classic X Men are definitely worth uh, capturing. And they they ran that series pretty. I don't know exactly how far it went. I don't but, know. I'm sure you can pick them up on the cheap. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can pick it up on the cheap, and that's yeah, definitely a thing, you know, because if you want to get this early burn work and you don't want to pay the $30, $40, $50 an issue that some people are trying to charge for these uh, online or at conventions, yeah, you can find them uh, in the classic X-Men reprints, and uh, they're just gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. That's it. You're going to you're going to hear that word a lot, probably in this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Gorgeous, <laughs> glorious, beautiful. Oh, my God. I can't believe he did that. OK, <clears throat> so starting my synopsis again. Sorry. No, 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 no worries. I'm glad you uh, brought that up. OK, let's see. Our story opens in a briefing between the Canadian prime minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Department H's leader, Vindicator. The Prime Minister is tasking Department H with the apprehension of Weapon X, also known as Wolverine, even if it means taking on all of the X-Men. Wolverine and several of the X-Men are at this time preparing to return from Japan, where with Sunfire they just defeated Moses Magnum at the cost of Banshee's sonic scream. 
Wolverine takes a moment, though, to present Lady Mariko with a huge white chrysanthemum. He even reveals his name to her. The X-Men fly in a jet provided by Lauren Jaren Hogarth back to the States. Pilots keep trying to maneuver the jet around the large storm that is blocking the way. Storm even tries to calm the storm, but realizes it was set in motion by another intelligence. The plane is forced to land at the airport in Calgary and directed to a, a strip far away from the terminal. It is there that the Vindicator stands in front of the plane and calls Wolverine out. Cyclops tells the pilot to turn the plane around and take off again, but the plane is held in place for the moment, then tossed like a toy by Sasquatch, the giant hairy muscle of Department H. The plane crashes into a nearby hangar. Vindicator scolds Sasquatch as he directed him to stop the plane, not smash it. Fortunately, the crash and the increasing snowstorm give the X-Men the cover they needed to escape unnoticed. Vindicator asks Shaman, the Native American medicine man, to calm the weather, but Shaman acknowledges that the weather is not under his control anymore, that an X-Men must have control over the elements as well. The X-Men then move under the cover of the storm and split up to throw the other team off balance further. Nightcrawler, though, is the first to fall victim to the other team as two mutants blast him with an incredible blaze of light, followed by a blazing quick right cross. Cyclops, Wolverine, and Colossus, and a few others make their way to the Calgary Tower, while Banshee takes the female shopping in an effort to better blend in with the locals. Vindicator blasts his way into the mall area in an effort to surprise them. He comes across a recently injured Banshee who tries to fight him off with his sonic screen. However, the effort only takes out the Banshee as he was nowhere near healed. Storm enters the fray and shows Vindicator he's clearly outclassed if he wants to fight him. He retreats. Meanwhile, Wolverine is walking alone through the rougher part of town when he is surprised and captured by the very large and yet quiet Sasquatch. The rest of the team meets and discovers both Nightcrawler and Wolverine are missing. Cyclops tells the team that X-Men didn't start the fight, but they're sure as hell going to finish it, if necessary, over Alpha Flight's dead bodies. To be continued. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. you, I'll you, always, you. Go ahead. No, go no, ahead. I'll just say, you always write such great synopsis. I really appreciate not that. Dry. I, I think mine are very dry and kind of by the book, but you, you put a little flair to yours. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, there's some things I did notice that was really interesting, though. Number one, Canada must have the largest video screen ever on that first page. <laughs> I, You know, because you know, all these years, and we'll get, go to the cover, but all these years I read this, I never looked at it carefully enough to realize that if you look in the upper right left-hand corner, of that very first image, there's a little person standing at the top of a rail. There is. That is a huge, gigantic video screen there. It's not a projection. It's like, you know, it, <laughs> it looks, like the, looks like the screen in the black hole. Yeah. Just gigantic. I never, anyway. I never, I never noticed that either because if you did, if that wasn't there, it would look just like a, you know, maybe a 10 by 10 screen, but this looks like it's movie size screen. Yeah. I mean, just gigantic. <laughs> Anyway, going back to the the cover there, um, I think this is a it, it's a beautiful color. It's kind of got a mixture of burn type uh, layout, but it also has that cockrum look to the characters. I mean, this is Bob Budiansky. He's not, yeah. you know, I mean, I I don't know his art from many others. I think I've only seen him do like inks and such. So, uh, you know, I, I never, never really thought to do that, but he was able to put the enough distinction on the, the number of characters that you have on screen here that uh, they all look dynamic in their own way and they all look pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I know, I know at this time, Cochran was doing a lot of the covers 
yeah. for these issues, not Burn. It was uh, Cockerman Austin, but I don't like this cover as much as the the next issue will cover because I I think what I don't like is the foreground of that's I'm assuming that's Shaman. Obviously, it's Sasquatch, and I of course to the scale it looks like Puck, who's not even in the team yet. But I, I'm assuming that's Vindicator. Yeah, showing the scale between himself and Sasquatch, but unfortunately. Shaman looks taller, so it, that, and I think the purple is just purple. Yeah, it's purple. The coloring. Yeah, I'm not yeah. crazy about the purple. I thought if it was a, uh, you know, it's funny. All these years, uh, as I, as I look at this thing, I always thought they were looking at him on a screen or something, and now I realize it's like they're in a hangar. Yeah, they're like inside. They're and looking the X- at door, and the X Men are just coming in from the storm. I, you know, again, you know, it's one of those things. You don't take enough time to sit there and take it all in because. While it's cool, it's not, you know, it's necessarily, and we've been fooled enough by enough covers to know the cover rarely ever gives you something that's going on in the book. Well, it just gives you an overall of, of, of something, but it's, it's not going to tell you everything you need to know. Certainly not nowadays. The cover has no. nothing to do with the book. Yeah, true, true. True, true. Now, going in, of course, like I said, largest video screen ever. Uh, I love that image. I, anytime you can put the Mandroids on screen, uh, on on the page, I think that's great. I just wish that they'd done it in color, real color, there instead of that yellow overtone. Well, the mandroids were yellow, and aren't they just kind of a gold? Yeah, but I mean that that that, that whole screen seems to be, you know, like it, it's it's not monochrome, but it's definitely not. And I don't know if it's just the 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 copy I'm looking at, but maybe because mine looks it's very washed out, so it almost looks like it's. I mean, obviously, Cyclops's beam is is red, but it's it's looks pinkish. It looks a little pinkish with me, yeah. but Nightcrawler. It's not nearly as red as say Nightcrawler or Colossus's, uh, the red in their costume. Yeah, and I'm not seeing that differentiation. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a copy I've got. It may be. I'm sure my, mine's been mine's now, been color corrected. What I thought was really interesting is that guy right there in the bottom left. That's the actual Canadian Prime Minister at the time. I, I found that out that that is so that must <laughs> cause that, that was my question because he looks. I first thought was, is he supposed to look Inuit, you know, a native, um, what do they call them in Canada, uh, original Americans or their version of the, uh, like the American Indian or the Native American. But he looks, he looks almost Asian. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, I've, I've actually uh, got a picture of him that matches the picture on the next page. And so I don't know if it was a complete photo reference that Byrne did, but I'll share that with you. So if you want okay. to include it, you so can that does it, I, it look like he was. If you just look at that face, it looks like he's referencing something. Yeah, but, but I, I was I was really surprised to find out. Yeah, this is a real person. I wonder, you know, I mean, I wonder if that even got back to the PM. I'm sure he probably didn't. You know, doesn't even think about these as anything worth his uh, notice. Well, that's the thing, and uh, and when I was doing some research on this, that. It, and you see that in comics from time to time that when it, it definitely establishes this at a particular time yeah. so that you still have to deal with that sliding time scale that uh, any comic has to have that, you know, well, so when they, when they put like they put a particular president in or something like that. So it, it kind of links this issue to that particular error. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and Byrne was also really good at following the styles of the time as far as clothes go. That's why you'll see absolutely in, absolutely. in some of the books, the character and the bell bottoms and, and, and other things. And he actually made them look kind of cool, which yeah, just, you know, they're not. But just look oh, at well. the arcade. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. They actually covered arcade in a oh, hot mover not recently. <laughs> and that was that was quite 
hilarious because you know they they brought in the obvious references to uh, Elton John and others, and it, yeah. it's a it's a good uh, podcast. I've never seen that. anybody cosplay as Arcade, and that would be one. It'd be easy. That would be a great cosplay, and I don't think I've ever seen it at a convention. I could almost see Carrot Top doing yeah. cosplay <laughs> as Arcade. That would be kind of funny. Now, uh, the other thing that uh, I mean, there's some cool burn tech in here. Of course, it's all in green. Uh, at least on my copy, yeah. and then you've got that one guy that's at the that's at the desk, or uh, not the desk, but at the um, console. And is he wearing some hazmat outfit or a Death Star helmet? It looks or, like he's uh, fixing to fire the main weapon on the Death Star, doesn't he? Yeah, it does. And that funky dome with the weird shield going around it, you know, and, and of course the 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 jumpsuit. Well, see, troopers will wear. This guy's got to work in front of this gigantic screen eight hours a day. He's got to have something to protect his eyes. No kidding. Yeah, you're too close to that screen. You might go blind. That's right. Isn't that what our parents told us? Okay. So you got anything else on this page? No. No, it's it's again, it's it's just it's just beautiful art. It's just Yes, it is. It's gorgeous. Yes, it is. And going on to the next page, you get the full shot of Major Maple Leaf. I'm sorry, Captain Canuck. I mean um Guardian uh, Vindicator. <laughs> What's his Protector, name? Protector uh <laughs> He's Vindicator. He was originally Guardian, and I think at this point yeah. he's Vindicator. Well, I don't. No, I think he was Weapon Alpha. That's he right. Was we, Weapon Alpha first, then then Vindicator, and then I guess at some point he felt vindicated and became Guardian. But in this, he's Vindicator. Yes. Yeah. He is Vindicator, which the X Men seem to know that he's Vindicator, even though they were never told that. Well, unless Wolverine. Well, you, you should. Well, I'll let you do it, but you might explain. This is his second appearance in the X-Men book. Yes, and they, they were in um, X-Men 109. He was in X-Men 109 first. And that's one of the beautiful things. The page I'm looking at, second page, uh, right there in the middle, there's a nice little editor's note telling you, yeah, I he know. failed in X-Men 109. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, at, at that point, you see him calling out the rest of Alpha Flight, which also was never named in the book, and yet the X-Men know that they're fighting Alpha Flight. But we'll go on from there. That's true. Are those... Are those punch cards he's feeding into that machine? It would be a stack of punch cards. It looks like a stack. That's what. Yeah. Even in this day and age, I think that's a little. That's a little dated. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost want to ask about, but it, it's almost like um, one of those Star Trek cards that um, Decker was holding on the Doomsday Machine when he's sitting there with all the, the all that. No, they're little. But, yeah, yeah those, but I can see their... where it's got like punch card stuff. Yeah. But uh, and then of course you see the uh, all the, the various members of Alpha Flight, uh, North Star and Shaman and Snowbird, and uh, Sasquatch and Aurora in their secret identities. And uh, yeah, would you have a secret identity as an Olympic level ski skier? Well, considering <laughs> he doesn't wear a mask at all when he's North Star, but yeah, unless he does that vibration thing, like the the Flash does. Can well, anybody keep that up all the time though? And what what was uh, do you know what North Star's uh, upper level limit was as far well, as speed goes? They was? said he was he could come close to the speed of light, but really, yeah. But apparently, and because that would cause damage to the Earth, apparently on Earth he would just keep it at Mach ten. Dang, that's amazing. And I think that's his sister was basically has the same similar powers. Mm-hmm. I think she's well from what I read, she was she could, she had more endurance and could. I guess fly longer, but he could fly faster yeah. than she could. Okay. And so our next page, we see the X-Men outside the, one of Jaron Hogarth's DC-10s. 
Now, if you've watched um, the uh, Jessica Jones series, you'll know that they've introduced the character of Jaron Hogarth played by, uh, what's her name, that played Trinity in The Matrix. Whereas in all the comics. Oh, things, see, was, I didn't Jaren know. Jaron was a male. Yeah. I figure she was somebody. I've watched, uh, I watched Jessica Jones, but I haven't read any uh, Power Man or Iron Fist or from this kind of era where Misty Knight and uh, uh, Colin, Colin Wing. Colin yeah, Wing. The, the Daughters of the Dragon. And I really loved all the interplay. I mean, this was a Chris Claremont thing where he was, you know, cross-seeding his characters from the Luke Cage, Danny Randy, and Power Man, Iron Fist, and here, the Daughters of the Dragon. Even the pilot, uh, Jerry and Anne, apparently were uh, a part of that. Part of that, that too. That, 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 that too, yeah. But uh, Colleen Wing, of course, in, in, in this series here, this uh, part of the X-Men, they're under the belief that uh, Jean Grey and Hank McCoy were killed when they were down fighting Magneto at the, at the, in the Savage Land or as they were, I guess they were the Earth's core or whatever. And so Cyclops thinks that she's dead. And, and at this Colleen point, she Wing is, yeah, Colleen Wing is putting a full court press romance on them. Right. And we should say Jean Grey thinks the rest of the X-Men are dead. Yeah, Jean Grey and X-Men Professor thinks, X. Yeah, they, they all think all the X-Men are dead. Yeah, and the X-Men think Jean Grey and Beast are dead. Right. And so, yeah, there's, a, of course, a lot of the the, the plot points that, that lead into later things start, right? You know, right around this time. Uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The mental seduction of uh, Jean Grey by uh, Mastermind. Right. Starts starts around here in the subplots. And this is back in the day when you could have a subplot that started two years before and and bring it to fruition much later. That's that's just Claremont. Claremont would put the seeds of stuff that, you know, he starts planting ideas for stories, like you said, were going to be, you know, a year, two years down the road. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, because it's it's a mine again. It's blocked out. I don't know why. That uh, the scene where they're all standing in front of the plane. Is there Mm -hmm. an editor's note there in the lower right? Yeah, uh, it's just uh, the talking about the Savage Land story began in X Men one sixteen. Yeah, I don't know why mine is. I've got a a black box over that. Hmm. That just okay. didn't, I, I don't know. Apparently, government. I, government I don't know anybody's uh, got against against editors' notes. It's like they don't, don't want people to buy back issues or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe the, they maybe just the want you to buy the, the the bound volumes and trade paperbacks, or uh, you know, buy your Marvel Unlimited service. Uh, but we get to see them say goodbye to Sunfire, who's got, I think it's a really, really cool costume, but the mask reminds me of Orm from Aquaman, except it's red. Orm? Orm. Uh, he was, I think, Aquaman's half-brother. The Ocean Master? That's what they call him now, I think, yeah. Okay. I knew him as Orm back in the day when oh, okay. I actually read that kind of stuff. That was it, back when... It kind of reminds Arles me of the, um, is it Betsy Brett? No, Betsy Braddock. Who would... It's Captain Britannia's sister who would, when she would possess Betsy, use her power, she had a, like a, a butterfly in her face. Who was that? Betsy Braddock. Betsy Braddock, Braddock yeah. yeah. And then she's uh, Psylocke. Psylocke, okay. That's, so I she's guess. the one Olivia Munn is playing in uh, Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, back when they thought, I always thought that they they felt that character wasn't, I guess, badass enough, so she had to be. That's, well, they, they transformed her into an Asian woman. Right. She, she took over an Asian woman, so then she was all, had to be this, you know, mystique level kind of yeah uh, assassin type and then of course they've got that little bit at the bottom where wolverine is saying goodbye to miracle and he gives her the chrysanthemum and 
tells her that his name is Logan. And I think this is the first time right, this is the first time they revealed his name is Logan in the comic books. That's what I, and, I found. Yeah. And of course, you know, now we know because of origin that, you know, Logan wasn't even his name. His name was Jimmy. <laughs> you don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. With a man who's the best. With guns, with knives, with his bare hands. A man who's been trained to ignore pain. Ignore weather. To live off the land. To eat things and to make a billy goat puke. To kill. Period win by attrition and uh, don't know where logan came from i mean maybe somebody can tell me where logan comes from but well, it doesn't, is, didn't well, come wasn't from... logan the name of the groundskeeper that was dog dog's father is that logan i you know honestly i don't know i think so i could mm-hmm. be wrong but i think i think that's right yeah i don't know why he would take that name but yeah but wolverine is quite smitten this kind of starts uh and while this also reveals more about him we find we found in the last issue that he can read japanese yes and he speaks it and fluent in it he's obviously been in japan before uh so it's just it's this slow fill-in of his backstory this of this era of x-men i love so much because you just kind of find a little bit more out about him well you know you you wouldn't have gotten that if it hadn't been for john byrne because they were getting ready to take Wolverine out of the books altogether. Right. Uh, apparently Cockrum obviously was favored Nightcrawler because that's his character. Mm-hmm. And But Byrne being a Canadian himself didn't want this Canadian to get dropped. So, yeah, I, I, w- I would say that that's probably uh, Byrne's pushing to get to fill him in to make him more of a instead of just a scrapper to make right. him a much more complex character. Yes. Now. Looking at the bottom panels on here where the pilot's going back to talk to Scott, is this plane just like ridiculously luxurious or what? It looks like the new uh, Dreamliners that have those yeah. little pods you sleep in. Yeah. Oh, man. But that looks that looks pretty cool. And, of course, you know, she's talking about how uh, Scott and Colleen have been together and talking nonstop. Yeah. Way to go, Cyclops. Score. <laughs> Hey, Scott, Scott takes it slow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, of course, you know, if she pulled his glasses off accidentally or whatever during the flight, that would be yeah, would unfortunate, be- <laughs> you know? Well, I've always thought it's odd that you think about Cyclops that he spends his entire life saying everything is red because he never he can really take his glasses off. So he sleeps in them. He has to wear these, you know, these little shades. Everything he sees... Is constant. It, it's worse than LaForge. So he's. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be kind of hard for him to function things sometimes. Uh, well, there's that episode of Seinfeld where that happened to Kramer. Right. <laughs> With the, uh, the Kitty Rogers chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, you know, and of course, this is where the, the pilot's telling him that the, uh, the storm is coming in and storm tries to control it and can't. That's an uh, odd. That's an odd. That's an odd pose. Where she kind of basically she's not looks like she's naked underneath her robe and just kind of of course she's she's not bashful at all so she just yeah no <laughs> let me flash you all yeah um and and then of course that look on her face when she realizes there's something else going on there that just looks so wrong for her well she looks she's got cat eyes yeah it does do the cat eyes and it's got the little butterfly thing on her face just but, yeah but the image the one to the left of that and it's just kind of throughout this whole this era in this whole book when burn i love the way burn draws energy yes 
and all that red that's that's surrounding her. It's he. It's not Kirby Crackle, but he has his own way of showing energy and power and force that I think is as distinctive as Kirby Crackle. I, right. I love it. I love this. This. I'd say this era of X Men is like a great dessert. It's just yeah, a treasure to read it. It's just it, it almost has a taste to it. But now that you have brought it to my attention, I cannot look away from the pose that Storm is in. And it you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of uh Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, that movie. That every time that that Susan Storm went to use her powers, she would like pose her body in a particular way and then throw her hands out. She had to throw her hands out like she's physically, you know, bracing whatever she's. Yeah, and we doing. saw this. Uh, I watched uh, Age of Ultron last night again. It was on um, Stars, I think, and they were running into like a Marvel marathon yesterday. And um, as a same thing with uh, Scarlet Witch in Age of Ultron, you know, mm-hmm. she would sit there, but she actually did some really cool things with her hands. Uh, really, you know, like you could. See See, there was a tangible thing that she was doing with her hands every time she was putting a hex together. I thought, right, yeah. Really in, the, cool. in the comics, I always draw like she was doing some kind of a hex uh, symbol or something with her with her hands to kind of acting like, uh, oh, like a that's a conduit or that's the way you know it's a, a medium or something. That the way she projects her power. Yeah. Now in this bottom panel, with the left with the pilot talking, and she's got angry face on. Does that remind you of Jean DeWolf? It does. Yeah, it, it, that, that's exactly what she looks like there yeah. is Jean, Jean DeWolf. From, put uh, now, they had her, of course, in Marvel Team Up. Uh, you know, you know they, they'd have her and Byrne Drew her and those uh, those issues that he worked on with Claremont. Just put a brain yeah. in her head and you got it. Yeah. Well, I will say I thought it was before I didn't realize that these the pilots in this plane were, were part of the, um, the, the Sisterhood of the Dragon or the Daughters of the, Daughters of the Dragon. Well, the the pilots are not. They're part of of the of Hogarth's um, you know group as far as Jaron Hogarth, you know, the lawyer who basically hires out Power Man and Iron Fist or represents them as new okay, okay. daughters of the dragon. So you know that's why they have these pilots at you know their call in Japan, and that's why they're they're even chummy with the X Men. I mean, you, you can see they're you know they don't shy away from them. They're actually no. friendly with them. Now, the thing is, is that uh, Misty Knight at this particular point in time is Jean Grey's roommate. roommate. Right. And that's why there's an open relationship between the X-Men and the Daughters of the Dragon and all that. Uh, well, I just thought it was awfully progressive to have the pilots being women. Women. This day and age, instead of being two True. men. True. This is what, 78? 79. Uh, 79, that's right, yeah. Yeah. I like that shot of the of the airplane over the storm. Uh, the way he did the whole cloud work and everything there, it's very very ominous mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Oh, the the, the, cl- the storm. storm work later is just great, especially when it's uh, encompassing when it's surrounding Vindicator. Yeah, though that whole the whole idea of of Shaman, you know, directing the storms the way he did, even beyond Storm's ability to uh, to control it, it really seems irresponsible and dangerous because he, he had to have covered almost the whole Western seaboard yeah, in order to be able to, to manipulate them in the direction that he want to. And then no telling, you know, what else he affected in that and who, who could have gotten hurt as a result of that. But we see a lot of alpha flights activity in this thing is, is very, it's very reckless. Irre- 
reckless. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the best term to well, use. Well, I, I looked this up because I thought when I was reading this that why would they, if they're coming from Japan, when they fly into LAX and then from LAX fly to JFK instead of going over but, the North Pole? Right. I looked it up and there are routes that you you would do that. You would go kind of up and come down across Canada to to go to New York. So it's not out of out of the question of the of the flight path they're taking. Yeah. Before the even before the storm was kind of pushing him to where they were going. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, on the next page, page 10, we see uh, too many people crowding the pilot's cockpit. <laughs> yeah, they're all in there. Uh, yeah. And um, Cyclops, of course, giving them all the instructions. And so they've landed at, at, at the Calgary airport. And then Vindicator shows up on the tarmac. And somehow everybody in the plane is able to hear him, even though he's just out there talking in the wind. Oh, he's got, I'm sure his suit's got some kind of loudspeaker. Yeah, or he's on their radio or, or something. It's, that's probably right. You're probably, he's probably coming through their radio. Yeah, but, you know, they just don't say it anywhere. They just, he's out there, he's yelling in this incredible storm, and yet they know what he's saying. Well, you think they would put the little, sometimes they put brackets around things to represent that it's either a different language or if it's in a, uh, if he's talking through the radio. Um, but we get nothing like that. We get nothing like that. And then the bottom panel where Wolverine's popping his claws. Let me bring this up because this is a burn thing. Do you like the way burn does Wolverine's claws? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, the, the, it's it's funny because over the years, I, I liked the way Frank Miller did them. I hated the way that, I guess it was, was it Herb Trimpey did it in the Hulk? Where yeah, they yeah. almost look like sideways <laughs> blades instead of, They look know, flat. Yeah, they almost look flat, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Um, and, you know, looking at, you know, the, the way he did it here. And, of course, he gave Wolverine and, and the early artists seemed to give him more of that Widow's Peak hair, too, which uh, always kind of creeped me out. But, you know, when when they did Wolverine back then, he was less of, a, of an attractive man, more of a burly man. And, you know, later artists have made him more like I, I don't want to say more like Hugh Jackman, who's definitely a, what you would call an attractive man. But, um, you know, they didn't make any bones about it. he was not an attractive man here. No, he was supposed. In fact, I found out that Byrne based. If you look up, I'm fixing to tell this actor. If you look him up, you'll see the resemblance. He based his look on an actor named Paul D. Uh, D. Arnott. Arnott. Yeah, I saw D'Arto. the picture of the guy, and I was like, "Oh yeah, my god, that's what Wolverine!" Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't realize the uh, the Hellfire Club, who he had based them on, and uh, you know, of course, there are issues we're not covering right now, but. Sebastian Shaw was based on um, what's his name? It was in Jaws. Um, I'm blanking right now. Oh, Robert oh. Shaw. Robert Shaw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Uh, I and, easily see that. Uh, Pierce was based on Donald Sutherland. I can see that too. And Leland was based on Orson Welles. I can see that. Also, Leland kind of not, not yeah. to be rude, but Leland looks a little bit like a fat burn too. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Some, sometimes the character models that he uses, and those are great because each one of those is pretty pretty spot on. Though I never would have thought in a million years that uh, Pierce was Donald Sutherland. But no. it makes sense. Pierce, he played Hawkeye Pierce in the MASH movie. Yeah, that may be a stretch, but yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I absolutely could see that. I thought this is a nice reveal of is what little we get of Sasquatch. Yeah. And it certainly gives a... Uh, a demonstration of his power, although I, that's one of my notes that is, is Sasquatch this strong? I mean, I know the Hulk, the Hulk could do this, but I would think only an enraged Hulk would be able to lift it 250 would, Yeah, pounds. it would have to be an enraged Hulk because that's that's more than 100 tons right there. Yeah, I mean, he says 250 tons, yeah. 
Yeah, and you're fighting all that force. That's stronger. I mean, that's even stronger than they say Thor is. Yeah, and I just don't you think know. I never thought that Sasquatch was that because he didn't. Unlike, well, we'll give a little backstory. You know, he he obtained his powers by trying to duplicate Banner's uh, gamma ray experiment. And that's how he became Sasquatch. But he doesn't. But he keeps his his normal intelligence. He doesn't become a kind of a mindless brute. And he doesn't, as far as I know, doesn't increase his power. No, he doesn't increase his strength no. or anything. No, because not only is he like picking the plane up, he is also throwing it, and it's going, you know, full power. So whatever the thrust is, that one hundred fifty thousand pounds of thrust. Yeah, he's able to to throw it against it back. that. That's that's it's pretty. You know, and just throwing strong. it was so reckless and so stupid. Oh yeah. Well, I think he was. I haven't read my Alpha Flight in a while, but he was. He was written as being kind of impulsive, wasn't he? Well, yeah, but I mean, this is supposed to be a scientist, a really smart guy, but apparently he was impulsive enough, and maybe, you know, gave into those impulses more as Sasquatch than he would as you know Walter Langowski. Um, well, knowing what we know later about Sasquatch, yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. Hmm. Now, the one thing I find interesting on this page, though, is in the middle panels, when you see uh, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Banshee coming out, Banshee is talking up a storm, even though he can barely talk. And it, it, it always seems like even though he's not supposed to be talking, he's got some more to say than anybody else. He does. He does. <laughs> and that's yeah, He's whispering everything. Yes. And wouldn't she be going, what? What, what did you say? And but apparently... Nobody, nobody ever repeats anything in a comic book. Apparently, Banshee sleeps fully clothed. Yes. Nightcrawler sleeps in his costume, costume, and Colossus sleeps naked. Well, we we or maybe find in a, out. I think in you know when they uh, before they fight the Imperial Guard, he sleeps in his tidy whiteies. No, oh, that's probably right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He gets out of bed, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and that's just the thing about they. That's the thing about Nightcrawler. They've never you never see him really out of costume. He never has kind of a, a relaxed, casual uh, costume. That's true. Even when he showed up at Amanda Sefton's apartment, he was there laying there in his costume like, here I am. Come get yeah. me. <laughs> maybe, it's only, maybe it's the only costume he's got that's got a hole for his tail. You know, he doesn't have to take the time to cut a hole in his pants. I guess. I guess. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So uh, the plane, of course, goes flying, smashes into the, as they note, uh, an abandoned hangar. Um, DC, DC must have written this uh, comic. <laughs> yeah and uh you see the plane crash and fall apart and then you see vindicator coming you know flying along and yelling at, yelling at sasquatch, sasquatch. About that. and that's just a beautiful that that panel there at the bottom now look at his hand and that looks like a normal human hand well they've always they've always shown it as a normal human hand but sometimes but if, he has claws sometimes I now think. if you look at the the what's what's grabbing the bottom of the plane on, on page 11 yeah, that's covered Harry, you know, a lot. But what he's the hand he's holding up there is just a normal hand. So I, I don't know. I don't know. That might be a little mistake there. It almost because of the snow snow spots and everything in there. This page reminds me a little bit of Gil Kane work. Hmm. I don't I'm not getting a Gil Kane vibe or or Barry Windsor Smith. I could see that. Yeah. I, but, and, that, then the, and the inking on there reminds me of Klaus Jansen, too, with the clouds. The clouds absolutely looks like yeah. clouds. The uh, I love the plane, the detail in the plane being smashed apart. All the little bits, Burns always you know he's got all this little detail and all the little bits and pieces that are coming apart. Mm-hmm. And again, it's yeah, it's awfully reckless one. And and don't forget, Sma Ram, 
Smaram. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's what a plane would make if it hit a building. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and you know, looking at the top panel, is Hogarth so egotistical that he have to put his letter H on everything? Yeah, it's on the wing. It's on the side of the plane, and it's on the tail. Yeah, tail section. Oh man. Oh. But now the the next page where you've got what what is that? Seven seven panels almost on like a nine panel page though, but uh, it's just all gorgeous. The the art, the debris, everything it's laying about, and you see Vindicator moving about using his costume, his powers, and everything. I love I always, the ba- I love all the backgrounds here. The when he's first flying in and blasting the plane, mm-hmm. that background behind him. You know, anybody who says Burn doesn't like to draw backgrounds, I don't know. He's certainly drawn some gorgeous. Uh, especially when it's it's engulfing him, you yeah. get a sense that this is just like hurricane level winds just whipping around. Right, and then that bottom panel where you see the X Men all standing there, and Wolverine in his hat, and Nightcrawler in the trench coat with hat and everything. That, that I love that shot there. I'd like to have just a poster of that that bottom panel. It's but nice. Any- I, I still don't know how they got out of the plane. I know they did before it crashed, but how did Storm fly him out? I mean, obviously, Nightcrawler could have teleported. It wouldn't have hurt Wolverine. Probably right. wouldn't have hurt Colossus, but... Well, it could have hurt Wolverine. I mean, he he can be... He can get his, his bell rung, you know, right, just but, as much as anybody else. But yeah, yeah, but he wouldn't have it, died. But the others right. are just humans, like the pilots. Right. Yeah, of course, I don't see the pilots. I guess that's them in the background. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's them in the, yeah, the background between yeah. Storm and Cyclops. Yeah. And then the Daughters of the Dragon there on the right. And I guess Banshee and Colossus both have their backs to us. That's that is really weird. Though. I don't understand why they got their backs to us. I think they're they're just walking and they're not turning back. Wolverine's turning back. Of course, he's talking yeah. too. But uh, I don't know why Nightcrawler went to the. Tr- oh, of course, they're gonna try to disguise himself. That's why he's wearing his trench coat. Yeah, and he they, doesn't they have his, in- doesn't have his image inducer, does he? Uh, no, I don't no. think so. Now on this next page here, as they get into the airport proper, is that. I know there was some some cameos in here. That's uh, Cockrum, I, I think. That's Cockrum because I know I, Terry Austin also makes a cameo in this one. And I couldn't find him, but unless that's him sitting there reading the paper. Uh, but then again, I don't know what Terry Austin. I don't know like. the pictures I've seen of Terry Austin. He's he's got a beard, kind of like Byrne, but he's going. He's he's got he's kind of bald on top. But I think that yeah. is Cockrum in the blue. It's with a woman. I don't know who the woman is. The uh, that's Bonnie Wilford, the colorist. I thought it was uh, Lynn Wayne's wife was a colorist. Uh, no, she is a colorist. But uh, in, in in the Marvel Wiki, it said that she was one of the, the cameos in this. Bonnie Wilford colorist. Okay, that, that must be her. Then. I don't know where... Uh, I would think that Austin would be more prominent like this. Because I know you see we see Byrne later. Yeah, uh, in the next issue. Yeah. And Darcia or Daria or whatever her name is. Yeah. So the the next page, of course, is Nightcrawler teleporting out on his own. Um, there was something, I don't remember if it was in this or something else that I, yeah, it was an earlier issue I read where Nightcrawler did a blind teleport, which they later said that he couldn't do, but that wasn't this issue. I was going through a lot of X-Men around the time I was reading this because I was really, you know, I, I actually started with the, the giant size X-Men to 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 lead up to this, oh. so I, well, I, I read yeah. the first couple. I read the ones in Japan up through yeah. leading at this, and that's where he, that's kind of a tie in with this because there he was stretching how far 
he could teleport because he was talking right. about teleporting from one side of the island to the next. And yeah, and so, but on this page here, as you see him uh, around the terminal, uh, he's being stalked by Northstar and Aurora, and you can see from the shadow that they've grasped their their hands together, which is how they do their wonder Generate twin their power what? and yeah. activate. Yeah, <laughs> they're activating their wonder twin powers, <laughs> and you get. Get to see Nightcrawler uh, like this. I've seen it a couple other times where Bernstein. I don't know if any other artists have done it where so much light is on him that you get the full definition of his face, which is usually in shadow. Shadow, yeah. You said you wanted on the previous page. You wanted that as a as a piece of art. I want this as a piece of art. The center page with with him being blinded. I would love that as like eleven by seventeen uh, print. That's, that's cool. That's just gorgeous because that's just no coloring. It's just it's just the ink. Yeah. But his mouth looks so funny the way his lips curl up with the teeth. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's weird. I'd never noticed that before, but it looks really, really weird that way. I, I love Bert Nightcrawler. Next to Spider-Man, Nightcrawler is one, one of my favorite characters. Yeah. And I love the way Byrne draws Nightcrawler. I think Cochran is probably my favorite in this, maybe because he developed him. But I love the way Byrne draws, like you said, the shadow on his face. The mm-hmm. way he would he would draw him in shadow, where you just see an outline or just his eyes. I love the way he does his bamf. Yeah, uh, I, I I like Burns. I like Cockrum's. I even like Paul Smith's version of Nightcrawler. Paul Smith does a really good Nightcrawler, and uh, G- John Romita Jr. too to an effect. Romita does a good one. Probably my third. If I it would be either Cockrum, it'd be Cockrum Burn and Alan Davis. I love the way Alan Davis oh, does Burn. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Nightcrawler's unconscious, and yet his eyes are still open or glowing yellow. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about that. At the very bottom. Yeah. See, they that, they've corrected in mind. They're blue. They're not. Oh, they're right? not yellow. You can't, yeah. You don't see that. Okay, they corrected. They look, they look closed. Now, hmm. I'm going to ask about this because I've looked it up and I'm wrong. But for some reason, I thought that when Aurora Northstar did their their flash, it temporarily disabled their powers. I thought so too. So maybe uh, if I remember reading that from Mohatmu way back when. Yeah. So I, I couldn't find that in the wiki. So I thought maybe that was something we were wrong. I was, or maybe I was wrong about it. Well, I mean, this doesn't say. Um, it says for the moment he's too stunned to move or think, and that is the moment he is lost. And it shows him getting punched by Northstar. It doesn't say that he's actually doing it in super super. Right. Speed. Right. Right. That could be a normal punch. In, in my description, I described it as blazing, but I could be, you know, obviously wrong. When you see Northstar attacking Cyclops or Storm later, you see he's going much, much faster oh, yeah. than he is right here. So, you know, there's that possibility. Okay. And then moving on to more mundane stuff, we see Cyclops and Wolverine Colossus and uh, the pilot and them uh, at the tower. Or outside the tower, where and then we see Banshee and the women shopping. Shopping. I, th- I, th- I thought this scene made no sense. I know they tried to explain it, and even Banshee himself says, "Why are we shopping?" But and, and the other thing is, I don't remember Storm ever being described as being particularly tall. I, I understand that in Canada, probably an African American woman with with stark white hair might stand out, but I never thought she was particularly taller or oh, yeah. taller than I- average. Yeah, I thought she was taller than average. Now, let me ask you this, though. Banshee, because you get a couple good looks at him here is the way Burns drawing him. Does he look like Sean Connery with red hair? Maybe. Sean Connery from the 70s, 70s with red hair is, is is what I'm seeing there. He's, he's certainly uh, sporting those mutton chops, so. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks like Black Tom Cassidy in that middle panel up at the top. 
either that or or Tony Stark uh, on a bender. Oh, walking, walking away from the X Men. (laughs) Yeah, it does look like Stark, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and but even the the clothing store and all that, the the detail level here is really really amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's just he's got so much. These panels are so dense. Well, I also get the idea that he has been not just to the the tower, but he's been inside this store. It could be. I, I don't know. And, he's yeah. from. I don't know where Burn. I know he's from Canada, but I don't know where in Canada he's from. I thought he was in Calgary. Calgary. Could so, be. Maybe I mean, at least Calgary. at least for a time. Yeah. Um, and then moving on, and well, I, again, I, Banshee is talking like you know, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> well, they keep drawing his his dialogue with a little dotted. Yeah, lines which, just, I bet which, he's probably whispering or it sounds hoarse or uh, yeah something's wrong with it yeah and then you see Vindicator flying and and you know of course with Vindicator the burn I think was trying to make it look like he wasn't necessarily comfortable flying as anybody else is you know when you see Thor Iron Man anybody else using flying powers they look like they're made to be up in the elements when he when he did Superman I mean it would, his work with Superman in his cape was Awesome and beautiful. Oh, yeah. You see, you see Vindicator here, and you know there there are shots that look pretty cool, but other shots like this one where he he looks patently uncomfortable. Well, they, he's always been written as kind of an uh, unwilling hero. He never yeah. felt he was kind of forced on. He never felt like he was really because uh, I think Wolverine was originally supposed to lead this team, and yes. then he left. So then he right. had to kind of step up uh, with his little exosuit. So because he even has dialogue that he says. Uh, you know what? You know, I think he talks about I'm not much of a leader. Yeah, that and, was supposed to be for Wolverine. Yeah. Now, um, you see that uh, he comes flying into the mall, and he just obliterates that ceiling coming in. And you get two other people here, Kelly and Johnny, though we don't know who they're. I don't know if they're. I don't think they're supposed to be anybody. Yeah, they're just people. But you know he comes in there. I mean, it's like there's no regard for for other people, and he's just really reckless with what he's what he's doing there. That was that was my one note. I wrote property damage. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem to care. And they're jumping all over the X Men. No wonder Department H got uh, dissolved. <laughs> and then that that horrible scene because this looks painful to me. I I I I feel his pain there because I've been I've had like the the strep throat, laryngitis, mm-hmm. and everything hit me all at once where I was having to work and I was having to manage conference calls and I'm trying to tell people what to do and I can't get, you know, get anything out and it hurts and everything. This right here just, uh, oh man, it just came right home for me. Well, but, he looks like he's really racked in pain when he's kind of, yeah, it's like he's grabbing his, either grabbing his throat or grabbing his head and he's kind of bent over. And then, whatever yeah. that, 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 that <laughs> phrase, but you know, that's, that's somebody that's in a lot of pain. I think that was represented really, really well. And of course, he's got those checkerboard pants that follow him wherever he goes. You know the the movement. <laughs> that's that's one of those things they did with the the pants in the past that always bugged me because they did that in the cartoons where the pattern would move when the person's moving, but it's not the same. I don't know how. To yeah, it's, it's kind that. of his. It's not zipatone, but he's using yeah. it like zipatone. He's not he's not altering the uh, the pattern to match the flow of the pant he's just right. filling it in it's almost like it's clipped clipped out of yeah, there but I, I don't know if that was burner or austin there i don't know i don't know it, if, looks, um, it looks it looks good it doesn't it look looks bad. good it's, it's it's took the time to make it look like it's a, a fashion i mean that was certainly i wore plenty of plaid pants in the uh in the 70s so 
I, I did not. I, 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 I stayed with solids. My wife my, doesn't my, understand why I stay with solids all the time, but my, it's because I don't want to ever look like that. My mom put me in plaid pants. Oh, we had, I've had plaid pants. I've had pictures of me in plaid pants. Oh, gosh. But, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we do get some nice zip tone at the bottom with Storm on her knees. Yeah. And, and again, I just love that energy that's flowing off her. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's that may be more Austin than Burn, but. Well, I was wondering, would you even call that Kirby crack? But there's no real. I mean, there are some spots in there, but it's it's his version. It's like it's yeah. like burn crackle or whatever you want to call it. It's it's that way of, and it almost looks like it was done. Well, Kirby would do all his with with dots, of course. You know, Kirby dots. Yeah. Now this, that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say the the shot of Vindicator, the bottom left. You put ears on that. That could be Batman in white. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be uh, well, it could be any number of uh. Uh, characters have that same kind of it. Yeah. Could be almost be Daredevil. But yeah, that, that, that shot of Storm just looks so dangerous. She looks so, so dangerous. That's cool. Well, she looks, yeah, she really looks like she's, she's kind of lost it. And then just, I, I don't know if she blasts him out of there with a lightning bolt or what she does to, and it, well, again, more property damage just with a big shaboom. Yeah, shaboom. <laughs> <laughs> then a great, line of you know you spoke once of power little man did you not know the you know do you do you not know that know the meaning of the word and she just kind of lets loose and then he runs tail and he's like yeah. I, and i was wondering go ahead if i don't know if it was planned but the fact that gene gray is not here that she they've separated him after you know the last after right. the thing with the savage they separate him and i don't know if that was done purposely because obviously if gene was here she would just i think wipe the floor with alpha flight so it wouldn't be much of a contest yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know, how can we do all these things, have them go through all these adventures without Gene just, you know, taking everything up with a with a blink of her eye? Yeah, so it'd be they, like I dream of Genie every episode. <laughs> so they had to pull her out. Yeah, yeah. You know what I was going to point out here though is that all these various characters and 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 extras or whatever you want to call them the 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 other people that are that happen to be around, and every one of them is distinct in their look and everything. You know, you don't have any any mirrors you don't have like the the hank pym captain america you know mm-hmm. repeat that that you see with the, a lot of the blonde hair blue eye kind of guys well but we've seen everybody's the look. very distinct in their look right we've seen this with with burn before that it looks like he's drawing from people either he knows friends yeah. or relatives or co-workers or something and putting them in uh the the kelly and it was in the previous page kelly and and kelly and ann those look like why give them names if they're just going to be people that are just bringing from his, oh yeah you know. kelly and johnny early i'm thinking of kelly and johnny Jill, the pilots yeah. but yeah yeah you're talking yeah. about those yeah no i understand what you're saying um that's a really really cool shot where storm standing there looking at banshee who's you know saying let hudson go um we got to warn scott and the others but he's just sitting there saying that but the whole smoky realm of the room it's, it's obvious storms brought in the storm clouds to make her thunder yeah in the room, to, yeah. in that room. Just, <laughs> well, the, the woman's complaining, you know, basically yeah. she trashed her store. Yep, I'm, I'm guessing Jaron Hoggoth is going to have to pay for some damages, huh? <laughs> or the Canadian government will, since they were the aggressors. Yeah, that's true. That's I mean. true. And then on the next page, for whatever reason, Wolverine goes ahead and splits off from the X-Men to go check out an old bar, Cracklin' Rosa's. Now, now... If I remember right, in the uh, X-Men classics, they actually uh, told a Cracklin' Rosa story in this issue, and it was Wolverine and Banshee 
before Wolverine got the got the claws, and uh, you know Banshee was a much younger spy. Yeah, uh, back in those days. Now, of course, that kind of contradicts some things on Wolverine, but uh, again, you know, I, I, uh, I, they've they've messed up Wolverine's past so much it doesn't matter to me. But I really like this whole, this whole page and the, the 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 thing with Logan and you know going incognito and he's got his bomber jacket on and his hat. But how does Sasquatch, you know, capture Wolverine off guard? Wolverine would smell the sweaty hair or, or, or whatever, or hear that gigantic heart beating or breathing or whatever, and yet Sasquatch is able to completely surprise him. I think they're they're trying to show that he's kind of caught up. That he's obviously been here before. He's kind of caught up and reminiscing and looking around. And then he hit. The, and then what's odd is the middle panel where he. Where he says, um, some things never change. Um, all them big shiny skyscrapers downtown can't hide the poverty that's here. It's like, okay, a little social message just stuck in there. Um, no, uh, the and, and I will say this. You know, I, I made comments in the past about how Byrne draws ugly people and still makes them look nice. No, in the middle panel, there's some ugly people. There's some ugly people. really ugly. Yeah. <laughs> they look down on their luck. And no, the, we, guy, the guy up top looking down looks a little bit like David Carradine. I can see that. Yeah. But the the woman there, no, she's just plain ugly. She looks a bit like, uh, what's the mother on, is it Mama Sue? Mama, uh, what's the reality show with the little girl who's a... Honey Boo Honey Boo Boo, whoever her mother is. I don't even know how I know that. I don't Uh-oh. watch it, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and apparently when, when Sasquatch grabs Spider-Man, uh, grabs Wolverine, he does it with a web swinger sound. Whip. Yep. I guess it was, well, we also find that Wolverine uh, apparently is a litter bug, so he just flicks his cigarette away. Oh yeah, that's that's but that's true Wolverine. That, yeah. That's yeah. It's, I do uh, I do like the fact that you don't really see well, other than Vindicator, really, you don't see any Alpha Fly. You don't realize that until you re, kind of reread it that you really don't see just glimpses uh of the other teammates. You don't really see really Yeah, um, but somehow uh Cyclops in the very last panel knows that they're fighting Alpha Flight. Maybe he's heard, you know, he's... Yeah, I mean, they, they know that, that Hudson is called Vindicator, but there's no way that they could possibly know that. And they know that the team's called Alpha Flight, and yet there's, unless Logan knows that they're now called Alpha Flight when they were just part of Department H, that's what he they were when he was there, when he was Weapon X. Yeah, and they could have cleared that up a little bit of dialogue. It could have been, like, Cyclops saying, oh, I'd heard rumors that there was a super team being formed in Canada called yeah. Alpha Flight, something like that. And he said, this must be them. You know, you could you could easily clear that up. And it's like, oh, go ahead. No, but to do the inking on the, the bottom panels here, it, it, it's definitely Austin because when you look at Logan's eyes in the one panel just before you see Sasquatch, you can tell that's, you know, it's something Terry Austin does with the zip mm-hmm. and everything. And then, but that bottom middle panel where he's flicking away the cigarette, that makes me think again of Klaus Jansen somewhat. It's a but little. It's a little. Uh, it's a mixture of both, really. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, and yeah. I, I want to say I uh, I missed this era of Wolverine where he he kind of had this kind of cowboy thing going. I missed the hat. I kind of missed the uh, the boots. Yeah, and at the bottom when Cyclops is making his little speech about you know we're gonna, he says, but we're sure as hell gonna finish it. I was kind of taken aback. I didn't. This is something I didn't think they were using that kind of language in comics. At least not these, you know, mainstream from the big two. Hmm. And later, 
they use that word again. They say he says something like he uses the word hell, and I just thought that's a little that was a little mature for these types of books. Well, you know, I remember just around this particular time, seventy eight, seventy nine. I was watching an episode of Mash, and I remember hearing Hawkeye call someone a son of a bitch. And I was completely shocked that he said that. I don't think I'd ever heard that, you know, uttered on television and regular primetime TV and anything. You know, you see it in a movie from time to time, but not like that. Well, now it's every other word on TV, but yeah. On now, primetime. It, it, in the frame up above that, okay, as there, the four of them are sitting there talking, who's this guy in the green Santa outfit? I don't know. <laughs> just, it's just a bystander. <laughs> I know, but it's a green Santa out. What? What is that? I mean, is it just he's got a green Santa cap and his jacket happens to match, or is it just bad coloring? Well, my and my and mine is yellow. It's not green. He's Dang. all yellow, and he's just got a shadow over most of him. Yeah, that's weird. That is so weird. But the above panels, it's really cool. The fact that Sasquatch is able to knock out Wolverine. Yeah, the way he did, and just the way Wolverine looks. It's. I mean, it is. Just really, really cool. Well, it's interesting he calls him Captain Logan. Yeah. Was that his rank when he was in Department H? Or as far as we know, was well, that's right. They were considered a branch of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, weren't they? So I guess he did. He would have had a, a maybe an honorary rank or a rank when he was. Well, I mean, he together. was military. He was military. If, if you remember some of the other flashbacks they shown when he's sitting there talking to, to Mac and, and uh, his wife. Is that he was in a military uniform? I didn't think he had he he remembered at this point. He knew enough of his past that he was that that actually took place after he got a skeleton after uh, metal the adamantium in the skeleton after because it was Mac and his wife as a Jamie the Heather mm-hmm. excuse, Heather. Heather that uh, Heather was the one that found him and they nursed him back to health and. You know, he stayed with them and they, they helped him. And then, of course, he got into the military uh, through them. And so, yeah, he was, you know, he was in a military outfit when he, you know, when and he was with the military when he decided to leave. But it was after his battle with the Hulk, which he did in costume. Well, and well, when he gets approached in giant size X-Men number one, he's wearing his costume and Xavier, because yeah. he cuts the guy's tie off and says, you know, what, basically, I'm out of here. Yeah. But, but that was definitely, you know, after the Battle with the Hulk. And so yeah, right. it, it, it was and, and of course, that was written by Len Wein, who also wrote the the Hulk story. Right. Yeah. Well, at that point, I read that when Wein conceived of him, he didn't he thought of as he conceived it as the claws as being built into the gloves, not him actually coming out of his. Um, and I also read a little backstory on this, that when they were fleshing out the backstory on Wolverine, that. Byrne and uh, uh, Claremont come up with a backstory that he his bones didn't heal due to his healing factor, and he was he had some kind of industrial he got, he was hurt somehow and broke his legs or something and he and he couldn't but his his healing factor didn't affect his bones and that was when Department H came to him and suggested that well they could replace his skeleton with an adamantium one now that was dropped so that's not a backstory but that was when they. That was something Byrne actually yeah. had come up with because in the days of future past, when Wolverine gets fried by the Sentinel, it's a full adamantium skeleton that clunks down to the floor. Well, they often they, they saw him often uh, drawn that way. That his yeah. some uh, when I was watching, I watched X Men just the other day when I was 
uh, get, kind of getting ready for this. And there, when you, you look at the uh, X-ray, it's like he has strips yeah. of adamantium. But other times, it's, he's drawn as he's he's almost like a Terminator underneath. He's completely okay. So we've pretty much gone through everything here, bit by bit, panel by panel, and tore it apart as little as we can tear it apart because it's pretty darn flawless of a book. And you know, in in the the scheme of things, as far as what we're looking for in a comic. And of course, it's a continued story, so we'll come up in the next next issue and and uh, look at the rest of that and finish the story out. But are there any final thoughts you have on this book as we've looked at it? No, it was just I said before it was just a delight to read this. I haven't read the the burn stuff in a while. Back back in the X Men, this is just it's just oh, it's just a, it's like a physical reaction to it. I just love reading this kind of stuff. This is what to me what comic books are. It yeah. art's great. It's a fun story. It's it's well written. It's got uh, it's got some depth to it. It's uh, it's got a nice cliffhanger. It carries over to the next one. It's not, you know, if this was done today, this would be about 10 issues. <laughs> yeah. You know, recovering that. Uh, and it, yeah, I, I, my quibbles are with a little bit with plot, a little bit with uh, some some of the logistics of it. As for the artwork, I really have no no problem with any of the art. Uh, it's, just, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it was gorgeous all the way through. Um I, I I pretty much loved every bit of it. You know, we had again we had our little quibbles, but they weren't you know anything that that destroyed it in any way. No, not a way. And there was nothing that took me out of the story as I was sitting there reading it. In fact, all this made me do is wanted to go back and read not just the Claremont Burn X Men, but the uh, Power Man Iron Fist and the Iron Fist stories and the Marvel team ups that they did together. Just because the the way they did all that stuff, it was really really enjoyable to read, and it, you know I loved how it all kind of tied together and moved along in coherent storytelling fashion. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't you know isn't something that should happen. So yeah, it was really uh, really really enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to the next chapter on this. Yeah, it made me want to dig out my Alpha Flight and read uh, like the at least about the first dozen issues of that because I liked how that was so. Canadian centric that he dealt with a lot of like a mysticism and, 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 and folklore and stuff like that of Canada, that that seemed to really, it wasn't just, uh, well, these are Canadian heroes. So they almost, they could almost be separate from the Marvel universe because they had their own little playground up there in the, you know, in the great white North. But yeah, yeah, this was just a, just a, a fun, fantastic read. And I, yeah, I'm looking forward to, we're going to kind of break this into, I think part one and part two. So this will be our part one and we'll, and we'll have a, uh, issue 121 as another show so we'll have kind of two shows coming out real quick back to back so if you're listening to this the other show should have come out within yeah. a day or so the other one and we'll go ahead and cover our letter uh, emails and such in uh the next the next one yeah as we close i that think up we only cover. have one one email one email i think there's some stuff in facebook i need to, to pull out and put into yeah. uh, you know coherent uh lines so that we can sit there and answer them as we need to yeah. But yeah, Mark Anthony Lacey uh, wrote us on the uh, email, the uh, gotta get burned at gmail.com. And so please, uh, please, you know, send us your emails, uh, do your iTunes reviews. Uh, we've got four so far. And the more iTunes reviews that go out there, uh, the, the more exposure we get uh, as podcasters. So if you could do that, that would be great. Yeah. We see that, you know, we're, we're getting downloaded a good number of times. And, uh, that's really cool. We just want to know what you guys think. We want to know what you guys are, are liking and what you guys want to hear more of or less of. Um, 
So uh, I I think I've got it. That's pretty much everything I've got. That's that's everything I've got. Yeah, I look forward to part two. So we'll uh, we'll say sign off for tonight, today, today, tonight, (laughs) tonight, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this. Uh, So for third degree burn, I'm Tim Elliott, and I'm Brian Hughes. for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn.